It's my first time, forgot my mic. <laughs> so I decided to try to break my ankle on the way down the steps here. Hey, uh, before we open our Bibles up this morning, there are a couple other things that I want to share with you. I told Lisa this morning, I will take care of Easter. <laughs> uh, we have Easter coming up. I don't know if you know that here in a couple weeks. It's coming up quick. Uh, there are a couple things that I want to let you know very specifically about Easter, okay? And we'll keep, we'll send out emails, we'll put it on social media, we'll talk about it next Sunday and that kind of thing, but a couple really important things. First is this. On Good Friday, we're going to have a Good Friday prayer service. And so we would love for you to come and be a part of that. It's going to be a very unique service, worship service together that um, we really don't do things like this. And so we'd love for you to come together in this way. We do this all the time. Uh, but we'd love for you to come together and join us. We're going to be worshiping together corporately. We're going to have prayer stations uh, throughout the building for you to kind of experience that time. And so we'd love for you to come Friday night at 630 and join us for that. Second thing is this. On Easter Sunday, we're going to have church. That might, I, I don't know, is that, okay, we're, we're going to have church. And we're going to have church, that's the announcement. All right, moving on, just kidding. We're going to have our regular, normal 10 o'clock service on Easter. We're going to have Velocity Kids, all that stuff's going to be great. Um, we're also going to add something for Easter Sunday as well. We've had people let us know that uh, they've been coming, the last several weeks they've been coming, and uh, parking has, has been a little bit maybe more of a, more of a challenge, um, finding seats and that kind of thing. And so we're gonna actually going to add a service on Easter. Um, so at 8.30, we're going to have an 8.30 a.m. service as well. It's going to be the same as the 10 o'clock service. We're not going to do Velocity Kids that morning because parents are going to be getting their kids ready for church at 8.30, not at 6.30, you know, ready, ready to come in. And so we're going to be worshiping together at 8.30 as well. Uh, we're really excited about this. Um, it's been really cool to see more and more people come into our church to have the issue like, oh, we need some more parking, and oh, we need some more space for people to come in. And we know so many of you are wanting to invite your family and your friends to be here and worship with you during that time. So we're going to add that 8.30 service. So here's what that means. If you are an early riser, we would love for you to come to, to that service. And we'll have space for everybody at both 8.30 and 10, 10 a.m. service. All right, does that sound good? Is that a good deal? Same exact thing, good stuff. Stuff to, stuff to celebrate, so that's great. So we're going to add that. Um, speaking of which, too, for Velocity Kids at 10 a.m., um, we would love, we would love to have some more folks who are willing to jump in and help serve in Velocity Kids. So our volunteer base is kind of here, and as... as uh, um, we've had more people coming on, on Sunday morning. The volunteer base hasn't necessarily creeped up with that. And so we'd love to encourage you to consider helping out in Velocity Kids, especially on Easter Sunday. If you'd like to help be a sub or be, be a helper in the room, that kind of thing, we've got all the details for you of what that looks like. And uh, Sarah and Adria uh, can help you out with that. So if you can't catch Adria, catch Sarah. If you can't catch Sarah, catch Adria. They will help you out and connect you with that. Um, so here's the deal. I'll just make this deal with you. If you don't want to serve in Velocity Kids, you can come preach, and I'll go help out with the kids if that, that works. So just see me after. You can see me for that one, and we'll, we'll see how that works. Uh, just, just kidding. I, I don't, it depends. It depends. on. It, it depend, that, could get, that could get real interesting. Uh, the, the, last thing, the last thing I want to say is if you would have all been considering getting baptized, being immersed, Easter would be a great time to do that. 
So why, why wait? Resurrection Sunday, right? The sim- symbolism of the resurrection is what we participate in that. So I just want to encourage you. You've been thinking about that. If it's in the back of your hand, uh, head, the Holy Spirit's been encouraging you that. That would be a great Sunday to do that. Get with me. Let me know. Get on velocitychurch.info for any of this stuff. It's our next step hub for all things velocity. So go to velocitychurch.info and let us know. So like Lisa mentioned, let's get into the sermon. You guys ready for that? All right. So like Lisa mentioned, we've been in the sermon series called Between Two Trees, and we've talked about how life is lived between two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where sin is introduced into our lives and in the course of humanity, and the tree of life all the way in the end at Revelation 22, where we finally get to be with God and have access to life eternally with him. We've talked about how sin brings about the union of death, what it causes in our lives, that death, what it causes in our lives, the need for transformation the gift of transformation that's given to us through the cross, through the incarnation of Jesus. But we haven't yet really talked about how we deal with physical death head on. At some point, we are going to die. Physically, we're, we're not going to be here anymore. And for Christians, we might know intellectually that death is just a transition to the fully transformed life that God has always wanted to have with us, um, but we, we might not always live as though we have that hope present in our lives. It's why Paul reminds the church that among difficulties, persecution, and mourning that comes with death, in our perspective and how we approach life, we get to look at it very differently. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he deals with this head on. Head on. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a different perspective on death, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we're looking forward to the process. That's not necessarily the case. However, we face the reality of death knowing that when it is our time to go home, it will be to the place our heart longs to be the most. And so Jesus rescues us from the consequence of sin and death, yes, but that salvation isn't just for one moment in time. It's for an entire movement of our life from here all the way through into eternity. The hope that we have in the face of death is the hope that we build up by faith as we live our life and with faith in Jesus. So like when we think about our death, and I, I don't know how many of you thought you were going to come to church and that was going to be the thing that, that we'd introduce. Have you, have you sit around, do you sit around thinking, thinking about your death, your funeral, how you want to be thought of? Maybe not all of us sit around and think about that a whole lot, which is probably a healthy thing. Like you probably don't need to be obsessed with that. Um, we, we think of, though, when we think of those times, we think about how we want to be thought of. A lot of times we, we think about what we want to leave behind. Um, here, here are the things that, that I want to have for my kids or for my grandkids, those kinds of things. And, and that's all great. Um, there are some very worthy pursuits of things that we can live behind, but even more important than that are the things that we do now. Here's what I mean by that. My kids know, or if they don't know, they're about to find out. One of the things that I am not leaving behind is generational wealth. It's it's just not going to happen. So if you're hoping, like, hey, I want my inheritance now, it's like, I, I got $5. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you now. We'll, we'll be good to go. So that's not going to happen. I mean, that's something that I could choose to pursue in my life. But if I do that, there are going to be some things that are more important that I don't leave them with. Um, hopefully, 
the way that I've prioritized my life that has not involved developing generational wealth for them is even more beneficial for them and for their kids and for their kids' kids. The way that I've prioritized my life, the way that I've prioritized my relationship with their mom, the way that I've prioritized my relationship with them, but more importantly, the way that I've prioritized my relationship with Jesus, that's going to give them something even greater, a much greater foundation in their life moving forward than if I had been absent their whole life so I could build up wealth to leave them. You know, I, I've, uh, not only uh, sometimes do I, I think about those types of things, but sometimes I'm forced to because sometimes I get asked to do funerals. And so sometimes at, at people's, you know, um, just really tough moments with people. I've, I've done funerals for people who have died way too young. I've done funerals for people who have died uh, after living a ripe, you know, long, long, full, full life. And one of the things that maybe you suspect, but maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's just something that needs to be called, called out, um, maybe something that I can confirm that you already, already suspect, the length of someone's life is not what determines as to whether or not they live their life well. It, it's, not, it's not how long somebody lives that determines whether or not they've lived a full, meaningful life. When we say somebody has lived a full life, we think, what does that mean? Does that mean that they were hurried and busy and always absent because they were doing other things? No, that's, that's not what we mean. We mean somebody has leave, lived with meaningfulness and purpose, purposefulness and in relationship and that have been engaged in very multifaceted, valuable ways in people's lives. We mourn the early loss of life because we mourn the loss of the potential of that person of what they, have, what they had lived up until that point. The potential that person had to become something and someone valued, treasured, that makes life better for having them in it. And I believe this is a piece of the image of God that we are created that shines through our life when we devote ourselves to something greater than just temporary things on this earth. It's the devotion to things like purposefulness and meaningfulness and peacefulness, hopefulness, joyfulness, and love, things greater than just ourselves. Those are the types of things in the end that we measure fulfilled potential by. And yet, these are not always the things that are at the forefront of our pursuits. And this is how um, the consequence of sin being death creeps into our lives and how we think and how we live, with, live things out. What we devote ourselves to shapes how we experience life. And we, we, we could, you know, anecdotally would say, sure, yeah, that, that makes sense. But even that isn't quite enough. Sometimes we don't even do the things that we feel really strongly about. So now's about the time of the year that I think would be a great question to ask. How are those New Year's resolutions coming? Anybody still, like, still moving strong on that? Uh, okay, we got one. All right, two. All right, sweet. We got, a, we got two of us. All right, so our percentage is not that great <laughs> on, on those things. When we look in the mirror in the morning, um, and I mean really look, we might see things that we're really proud of, or we've earned, like every time I see a gray hair, I'm, I'm proud of that. I look at that and I think, man, I earned that. You know, that, the color of my beard shifting and changing, you know, like the seasons, except it's not going back. Um, I, I've earned every, everything, every, every single one of those. Um, we see those things that, that we, we appreciate or we're proud of, but we see the imperfection, imperfections as well. And I'm not just talking about the shallow physical imperfections, like the way that I feel about my face or... Um, well, I won't go into any details. Uh, this is not a group therapy session for how I feel about my personal appearance. Uh, we look differently at ourselves based on what's happening on the inside. Um, I, 
I'm going to share something with you. I don't even think I've shared this with Renee before. So I'm going to share it, if it just, just between us if this is cool. Because this might be a really weird thing. Um, you Just tell me afterwards, or don't tell me at all, actually. So there are times in my life where I've known people for a certain period of time. And then I learn something new about them, or I get to know them more over the course of time. And their physical appearance shifts for me. Has, has anybody experienced that before? Okay, I'm seeing some people shake their heads yes. I'm very appreciative of you, even if you're lying to me and saying, yes, you're not crazy. So what, what I mean by that, it, it goes both ways, too, is that sometimes people, the way that I see them initially, I'll think, I like, man, they, you know, here are the prominent features that stick out to me about this person physically. And I get to know them more, and let's say it's a pleasant experience. That person, as I, as I see them, they become more attractive to me. Now, I'm not talking about in a romantic way, uh, unless I'm talking about my wife, who's aged like a fine wine. <laughs> Is that okay to say? Doesn't matter, I said it. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, and then sometimes, then sometimes it, it works in the reverse as well. Sometimes, you know, maybe there's an interpersonal conflict, or I observe something about this person, and they do something else with, with someone, and I see that person, and, and I'm telling you, there are times where I've looked and I've thought, how they, they look different to me now. And how, how is that possible? I, I still recognize them, but I'm thinking, how did I never notice that about them before? It's this very strange thing. Maybe I'm the only one. Well, there's at least a few of us who, who maybe have had that experience. But, but there's, some, there's some really interesting things that, that take place when we really look at ourselves and we think about uh, the transformation that comes along with how we approach life. And, and what we choose to devote ourselves to and how we, how we pursue things. When we look at ourselves and aren't, aren't very enthused, oftentimes we focus on the things we'd like to be different, but we don't necessarily have the innate ability to change those things on our own. And when we're faced with that reality, the good news of the gospel is that transformation can still take place. There, there's still a change that can take place in our life, even though we have the inability to make that happen when we devote ourselves to the way of Jesus. The wisdom of the world is to, that to live a full life, I just need to become the most me I can be. The problem is, is that there are a lot of parts of myself when I look in the mirror that aren't that great. And the more me I am, the more those not great things come to the surface. Because when I become the more me that I can be versus the more like Jesus I can be, that, that also includes the absence of the goodness of God in my life. Because there's no room for that when I'm only focused on myself. Instead, so the, the good news calls us to become more like Jesus to experience life at its fullness. That it's never been about what we can achieve on our own or what legacy that we can construct for ourselves so that we kind of force people to, to think we're great, but about the fullness of life that we participate when we are with God. And the way that happens, the only way that happens is that the more we empty ourselves, the more we are filled with the presence of God. It only comes through humbling ourselves when we look and see what Jesus has done on the cross and we respond to the transformation that we are called to, recognizing that the consequences of sin is death and that changes our thinking, it changes the way we look at ourselves, changes the way that we look at the world. The only way that we participate in that transformation is if we humble ourselves before God, laying down those, those burdens, that sin at the foot of the cross, Carrying the self-sacrificial love and way of Jesus, that's the thing that produces a fully transformed, full life. Even Jesus models this himself for us. In Philippians chapter 2, this is my favorite chapter in the Bible, uh, Paul 
writes out this early Christian hymn about Jesus and what it looks like for him to do this. So this is Jesus who comes fully God and fully man. And, and talk, this is Paul, this is this Christian hymn talking about the incarnation of Jesus. And Paul is using this as an example for how we should interact with one another. But this is what he says. He says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue, con every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus intentionally limited himself, even as a person of the Trinity, limited himself to become the living sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. He emptied himself so that the world would be filled with the grace of God to take away our union with death and to be filled with our union with God. Now listen, I think if Jesus had played his cards right, he probably could have gotten a couple book deals. I mean, he's pretty popular there, there at the beginning. I think he could have gotten a book deal. He might have even been able to stretch it out to six seasons in a movie. Um, social media following, I think he could generate that. Probably have a good, decent YouTube channel. I mean, he could have leveraged his legacy pretty, pretty well, I think, um, and yet he was so close to being a good influencer, right? And he just kind of missed his opportunity. If he just worked on self-promotion a little more, now, of course, that, that's absurd. Jesus wouldn't have a nearly the impact on the world if those were the things that he had focused on. Instead, he set aside his equality with God to point humanity to God, his obedience and death on the cross redeeming humanity back to God. And so the example that we see from that, in order for us to participate in the transformation, to, to live the life that God had created for us from the beginning to be with him, we must be willing to limit ourselves to give room to the limitless of God in our lives. In order to experience the transformation of Jesus, we have to look in the mirror and be willing to give up the things we see that are not a part of the life with God. And some of those things, if we're honest, some of those things are going to be very unexpected. And some of those things are going to be very difficult to give up because some of those things are going to be things that are ingrained in our lives from the very beginning that we didn't even expect or, or not even necessarily from our actions. Um, one of the greatest examples, I think, of this in Scripture is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and I know it's not. I know it's not Christmas. But if you look back at Luke chapter 1 and you look at this interaction that uh, the angel has as Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, don't, don't be scared. This is what's going to happen. You're going to have a baby. You know, <laughs> well, wait, this, not with Joseph, though. This is going to be a special, miraculous thing, and it's going it's to completely upend your life, and it's going to change everything that you expected. And, and are you cool? And she's like, um, are, are you serious? Like, this is, this is, okay, this is a little bit of a loose translation there. Let, let me just skip, to, though, to her, her conclusion in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1. Mary says... I'm the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. I'm the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. And you think about what Mary had to do, how she had to look in the mirror and decide what she was going to hang on to and what she was going to give up in this moment, this life that God had called her to. I mean, um, you know, think about now and think, oh, of course she made the right decision, obviously. But you think about then, what, what, was, she, what was she having to look in the mirror and give up? Her life goals? 
I mean, her social status, her feelings, her understanding. I mean, maybe that doesn't seem big now to talk about this, but these are the things that often direct our lives and the way that we think about ourselves. Her, her dignity, I mean, the way, that, the way that people thought about her from that point on was completely different. Um, I, always think, I always think it's really interesting that one of, the, one of the responses that we give when we say yes to God and we're all in with Jesus is, is that we soak ourselves in water. And how undignified that is. This humbling act where we say, you know, um, it, really just, it really just doesn't matter what people think about me in the, in the space, but what's most important here in this moment is the transformation, the union, moving from the union of death that sin causes to the union of life that God wants. And so we participate in the symbolism of the resurrection and baptism, you know, that immersing into, and how, how completely wholly undignified that is, how humbling it is for us, for us to do that. And sometimes I think the symbolism, you know, is, is there 100%. We've talked about that before. But sometimes I think maybe the whole point is that we will humble ourselves in that, is that we look at that and say, yeah, we're, we're not even too good to, to get soaking wet in front of a bunch of people. It doesn't always have to be in front of a bunch of people. Don't get me wrong. Um, we, we, can, we can like the idea of change. We can like the idea of transformations. Yes, I would, I would love, to, um, I would love to, my face to look a little bit differently. You know, I, I have the honor of being able to hide half of it with a beard. So, like, I'm, I, I like that. I like that change. I like being able to have that transformation on my, on my face. Or we, we think physically I would like to be, uh, I would like to look a certain way or, or those kinds of things. Or, or the way that uh, we think about the, the way we live or, or we schedule things out or we, we journal or all those, all those kinds of things that we make New Year's resolutions for that, man, here are some really healthy changes that I've seen other people that would love to be uh, a part of my life. But, but the longer we go, the more changes there are, the more that gets exhausting and less capacity we have for that change. And that's always going to happen when we try to do and make that change, that transformation happen in our own power. It's not until we humble ourselves and are willing to give up space in those places for God to do those things, for him to work in our life, where that transformation will actually, will actually happen. And in order for that to be the, ca- the case, there's going to be a cost involved. There are going to be some things that we need to give up, create space for, to, to limit ourselves so that limited, li- limitlessness of God can be at work in our life. The transformation from sin and death that we are invited, from sin and death to new life and new beginning that we are invited into through Jesus, it's not an add-on to our lives. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. Um, If it's just an add-on, it will always be overpowered by what we demonstrate to be most important through our actions and what we devote ourselves to in our lives. And so we're given example after example of how we enter ourselves to be filled with the life of God. We see this through Mary. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, um, he's preparing the way for Jesus. As Jesus comes along and begins his ministry, John says, he must become greater. I must become less. And Jesus, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus even does this as he points everyone to God. He says, Father, if you're willing, uh, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus models models this for us in multiple ways. When we look in the mirror and we're just looking for ourselves, 
Mirrors reflect reality. They also distort reality. Sometimes we get real stuck on the things that we like to see, and so that can be a really vain thing that we participate in. Or sometimes they accentuate things, distort things in our life that become more and more prominent. So we look at ourselves differently than some other, other person uh, might. And so even as we look in the mirror, the mirror uh, is, is not just for us to figure out on our own. It's for us to recognize and acknowledge the fact that God is the one who sees us most clearly. That even as we look, ourse- look at ourselves, some of the ways that we think about ourselves or talk to ourselves are not at all the ways that God talks to us or thinks about us. He looks at us and he thinks, this is my beloved child whom I deeply love, that, that, I, that I want to help transform from the life of sin and death into the life of a brand new creation and new beginning. And, and all it takes is us for us to, to not look too long at our own reflection and look to the reflection of Jesus in our lives. This transformation that, that God is calling uh, to us into, it's, it's not just a moment, but it's an entire movement throughout the course of our lives. We're always becoming someone through every something we do. And it's when we devote ourselves to the way and life and teachings of Jesus that we experience the transformation of the full life that God has called us to. Here's how the early church did in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to, and to prayer. We've talked about all of those, all of those elements to some degree up, up until this point, except for prayer. The, the way that we experience this transformation that God wants us to experience is to be in communion with him. You think back to what the earliest problem was that we talked about at the beginning of the series in Genesis chapter 3. What, what did Adam and Eve miss out on as a result of their sin? Their time with God. The, the walk, their scheduled walk every day in the garden. To, to be together, to be in one another, another's presence, to be in the presence of complete, full goodness. And that's what we miss out on in this life. That's what, that's what sin causes, that we get distracted by so many other things. We see so many other things reflected and distorted in our lives that, that we miss out on that time. And, and God just simply says, hey, if you would, if you would just kind of clear your schedule and, and spend some time with me, spend some time in the way of Jesus, we can, we can have that walk in the garden once more. The thing that we're tempted by so often in this life is to skip steps, especially in transformation. All the self-help books that we can read, all the, the pills that are out there for all kinds of different things, right? It's, it's all for skipping steps. And so in haste, and, and because we want to get all the other things in, we kind of do those things, we put those things into our life. And, and God just wants us to kind of slow down and say, spend, spend some time, spend some more time with me. Create some more space in your life. And that's where that transformation is going to start taking place. Because it's not just like that. It's, it's a movement that he calls us, that he calls us into. Um, ultimately, God wants to be with us. And the transformation of Jesus brings us back to this place where we can now be with him. I just want to read um, one, one, one text, one more text, um, and then we're going to share in a time of communion together. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and I, just, I want to read these verses as just kind of a culmination of the things that we've talked about this morning. So just, if you need to close your eyes or if you just read along with the words on the screen, um, just, just hear these words. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in your mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul there is talking about how he is living his life, how other church leaders are living, living his life so that others can experience the fullness of life with Jesus. What we don't voluntarily give up and lay down at the foot of the cross, our, our sin, our burdens, um, what we don't voluntarily give up um, is going to end up taking over in our life. Or, or really, to be more specific, it's going to suck the life right out of us. But what we do lay down at the foot of the cross creates room in our easily broken jars of clay for the surpassing power of God at work in us to heal, to redeem, to resurrect, and to produce life, even, even in the threat of death. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the transformative work of the, of the cross and the resurrection. And God, we just ask that you help us to recognize where we need to create space in our lives to be with you, to experience that transformation more fully. God, the way that we define a full and meaningful life, um, if it's only based on temporary definitions, things that can fade away, things that can be lost or destroyed or squandered, um, it's not, not much of a full life that, that can leave us pretty empty pretty quick. So God, we, we ask that you guide us through the Holy Spirit to recognize and, and to live out, um, to be encouraged as we live out this faith with, with one another, but also as we spend time in communion with you in prayer, uh, as we clear our schedules, as we make space to be with you, to be transformed with you, that we might see what living a full life really, really looks like. And how when we get overwhelmed by the things of this world, by the things that the consequences of sin and death create for us, that we can stop, that we can pause, that we can look in the mirror and, and look for your reflection to see how we might be transformed, that, that our hearts and our minds, our souls would be renewed, renewed by the time we spend with you. God, help us, to, help us to see the opportunities that we have to walk in the garden with you right now. To, to be with you so that we might, might see things the way that you see them. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.